Oh God, can we see your face more as we open your word? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you find your seat, I'd like to invite you to open either the Bible that you brought or maybe you need to grab one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you. Please turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Go ahead and make your way there. If you are new to the Bible, the book of Acts is in the New Testament. It's right after the four Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you will find the book of Acts. And again, we're going to be in chapter 1. Now, before we get started, I do want to say this. If you are coming today, maybe this is your first Sunday, or maybe you just missed last Sunday, let me just encourage you, it is not too late to join us in our, what we're calling Seek First. It's a time, a month of prayer and fasting that our church family is entering into together. I know some of you have personalities like mine. Uh, you get into something, and if you miss a couple days, you're like, well, then forget it. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm going to quit. Maybe you missed a week, and you're like, I, I don't have anything left to give. I missed my 15-minute time slot. I can't go on. Let me just tell you, this is not about checking off boxes. This is an opportunity for us to spend time with the God who created us and loves us. A time for us to, as a church, seek him first personally. Seek him first for our church. Seek him first for our city and the nations. And that is our goal in this month of prayer and fasting. And so I just want to invite you. This is not an invitation to do a devotional journal. It is an invitation for you to spend time with the Lord. If you didn't pick up one of these last Sunday, we will have uh, multiple copies at our next step table right after the service. So if uh, Samantha or Amy, if you're in here, can you make sure that those are there right after the service? Today we are continuing in our sermon series called We Are Disciple Makers. And if you have been here on previous weeks, you know how we are going to start this sermon because there's going to be a declaration that I've tried to keep in front of us every single week in this sermon. I'm going to ask us this morning to read it aloud together. Joel, if you go ahead and put it on the screen. All right, we ready? Are you ready? All right, let's do this together. All right. I was made for more than watching. I have a difference-making, life-giving, spirit-empowered legacy to leave as I proactively help people move one step closer to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I ask you to work deeply in me and clearly through me as I pray, proclaim, and persevere in your love. I am a disciple maker. Thank you guys. My primary goal in this sermon series is to help you to live out your calling as a disciple maker. The way that I've tried to do that is to approach the basic questions about what it means to be a disciple maker. Already in this sermon series, we've answered the questions, what is a disciple? We've answered, who makes disciples? Why do we make disciples? And last week, we answered the question, how do we make disciples? All of those are very important. If you uh, have missed any of those sermons and you're a member here at First SF, let me just encourage you, all of those are up on our website, firstsf.com. Please go back. That, those are foundational for this series. But today, I want us to move into, over the next few weeks, a very practical, some very practical messages from God's Word that will help you to understand what could this look like in your life. Today, the question before us is this. Where do we make disciples. In other words, what are the different contexts that God has placed us in to do this work of disciple making? 
Now, for some of you in this room, that question may seem like a no-brainer. Why would we even ask that question? But I have learned not to take this question of where for granted. If you have ever potty trained a child, you know how important and hard it is to get a kid to learn to understand how to use the restroom on their own how to take off their pants correctly, how to sit on the toilet correctly, how to use toilet paper correctly. It is an ongoing task. And so we as parents, we come up with the craziest ideas. We put fruit loops in the toilet so that they can aim. We, we, we barter with them. We promise them gifts and candy and all these things if they'll do it. And once they finally learn how to go to the bathroom on their own, we celebrate, right? Well, I learned one very important lesson that you can't stop at celebrating once a kid knows how to go to the bathroom. It's not time to celebrate until they know where to go to the bathroom. <laughs> the reason I learned this is because I was, I was absolutely horrified when one of our kids who knew how to go to the bathroom correctly decided to drop their pants and go to the bathroom in one of our friend's yards right in the middle of their flower bed, literally just right there. Rachel and I were like, we didn't teach him that. Didn't, didn't give him the where, right? He knows how, but, oh, I just gave it away. But, but, <laughs> but he didn't know where, and so we had to teach that. That was a very important thing. It's one thing. I'm sorry, son. It's one thing to know. It's one, don't, no one go and talk to Brady about that, okay? Not one word. It's one thing to know why. It's another thing to know how, but it's very important that we understand this question of where it gives us the direction that we desperately need many people have a very limited view when it comes to where we make disciples uh, some people say well disciple making that's the work we do in these four walls of a church that's where disciple making happens others say no 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 disciple making that's too big of a group it, it needs to be a much smaller group and that's where disciple making happens Still others say, no, disciple-making is the work that those people we send to Africa and China and other parts of the world, that's the work of disciple-making. That's the, the where. Well, I, this morning I would submit to you that just like the other questions, it is imperative that we do not rely on our own wisdom to answer these questions, but instead that we would rely on the wisdom of God, which is revealed in his word. And that's why we come to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. In this passage in the book of Acts, Jesus tells his disciples where they are called to make disciples. And in doing so, I believe he gives us a model for our own disciple-making efforts. The background of this passage is that it takes place right after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Already he's been spending time, the resurrected Jesus, with his disciples, instructing them and teaching them. And here he gives them one last lesson. Now, the book of Acts is an interesting book. If you want to understand how Christianity went from a crucified Messiah with no-name followers to a life-changing, history-shaping, culture-shaping, worldwide movement, the answer is in the book of Acts. And here at the beginning, Jesus tells his disciples one last thing before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Let's hear what he has to say. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. The word of God says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, the disciples are still consumed with, with how is this kingdom going to impact me? Is it going to come now? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive 
power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Today we're going to look at this passage as a whole, but what I want us to do is primarily focus on verse 8. Because verse 8 is what I believe are the marching orders of Jesus for all of us in this room who have been rescued from the domain of darkness, rescued and forgiven from our sin, and transferred into his eternal kingdom. Our King, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, clearly lays out his path for how he's going to change the world. And what does he say in verse 8? Two things. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. Now, if you were here last week, those two things should not catch you by surprise. What did we say about disciple-making? The how of disciple-making is this. We make disciples. We help others take one step closer to Jesus through the three Ps. Remember what they were? Number one, prayerful dependence on the Spirit. What does he say? You will receive my Holy Spirit. Two, proclamation of the Word. What does he say? You will be my witnesses. Three, perseverance to the ends of the earth. So this plan is nothing new. It's exactly what we talked about last week. This is what we as his people are called to do. But what makes this passage unique is that Jesus provides a model of where this disciple-making is supposed to happen. He says this, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want us to think about this morning. The first place Jesus calls his disciples to be his witnesses, to prayerfully rely on the Spirit and proclaim his word is where? Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place that the disciples would have seen as as kind of the home base. It was a place of familiarity, a place of, of comfort. It was a place of knowing people and being known. In other words, he says this, your disciple making starts where? It starts in the home. It starts where you're at right now. The first thing that I want you to think about this morning is that your own disciple making starts in the home. It starts with the helping the people in your own family, the people that you're closest to, and spend the most time with helping them move one step closer to Jesus through how? Through prayer, proclamation, and perseverance. You see this over and over again in the New Testament that when the powerful, life-changing message of the gospel comes and it hits a person's life, they, they understand who Jesus is. They understand what he's done for them. It impacts their family. It leaves an eternal mark on their family legacy. The first step that they oftentimes take is they proclaim that gospel that they've heard to those they love most. With the, in the New Testament, many times entire households being baptized together. We are called to be intentional about pointing our family members to Christ. There's a picture of this kind of intentionality all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy where God commands his people in this way. It'll be on the screen. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now that may seem like language is kind of out there, but here's the point of that passage. What I love about this passage is that it speaks to the everyday nature of helping family members have conversations that point one another to Jesus, that point one another to the kingdom of God and what he desires. This is to be the priority of every home, a constant helping one another to move toward Jesus. If your family is anything like mine, though, this is hard to live out. The reality is in this world, there are many competing agendas for individuals and for for families. Oftentimes, these agendas are totally separate from the things of God. They have nothing to do with God or his kingdom. Far too often, we're more interested in making sure that, that our spouses are there to meet my needs rather than serving them in a way that pushes them toward Jesus. Far too often, we're interested in raising kids who behave really well. Kids that get in the right school, that perform academically, that, that get on the right sports team. We're, we're concerned with all of these priorities. We get consumed with making sure our families have certain experiences, certain vacations, that our kids have the right opportunities. Friends, let me just ask you this question. For those of you who are parents, in the last couple weeks, in the last three weeks, how many of your conversations, how much of your time has been directed toward helping your kids take one step closer to Jesus? For those of you who are married, how much of your thought, how much of your prayer life has been directed at helping your spouse take one step closer to Jesus? For those of you in this room that are single, those family members that are the closest in your life, how much of your time has been consumed with helping them take it one step closer to Jesus? This is an imperative from the Scripture. We are to do this in our families. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This morning, I want you to take a moment, and I want you to think about the two or three or four people in your family that you're closest to. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe kids, maybe a, an aunt, an uncle, a parent. Maybe it's a friend that's as close as family. I want you to think about that this week. What is one thing that you need to be praying for them? What is one action step you can take to, to help them take one step toward Jesus? What's one way you can include the things of God into a conversation with that individual? What's one thing? You have to remember proclamation of the word is not just preaching. It's not just you're going to open your Bible and you're going to teach them. No. Proclamation of the word, it can look like a number of things. It can look like once a week sitting down and reading the Bible one-on-one -on -one with that person. It can, be with, it can be sitting down with your spouse before you go to bed and say, how can I pray for you this week? How, how are you doing spiritually? It can be taking those uh, meaningless conversations you have in the car and actually directing them toward Christ, toward spiritual conversation. Maybe during this month of prayer and fasting, it can be gathering some people and, and reading devotion, devotion, reading the scripture and praying for our church together. Proclaiming the word can look like a number of things, but here's the question, is this a priority in your home? Is it a priority? If you are a disciple of Jesus and you believe, think about this, 
that he is king of kings, that he is lord of lords, that he is the sovereign over all creation, do you think it's a coincidence that you are in the family that you're in? I think not. He has put you in that family to be a disciple maker. Jesus says to his disciples, it starts in Jerusalem, it starts at home. I know a hard reality for many people is that the closer you are to someone, the harder it seems to make disciples in your family. I mean, let's just be honest. Our families, they know everything about us. We spend more time with them. They know our sin. They've seen us, our good, our bad, our ugly. We, and I think there's a lot of fear when it comes to making disciples in our own families. What are they going to think? Are they going to think, think I'm a hypocrite? I, I don't fully live this out all the time. Is this going to make things awkward? I just encourage you with what, what John says in 1 John 4. What did he say? He says, perfect love drives out fear. It drives out fear because at the heart, I think, of our hesitancy to make disciples in our homes, whether it's our parents or our, our kids or somebody else, it's this, it's fear. But he says, perfect love drives out fear. If we truly love those that we're close to, it compels us to share with them the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. He is the greatest gift. He is the treasure of our lives. At the beginning of our time together this morning, we said that during this month, our services, they're going to look a little bit different. We're going to incorporate more times of prayer into our service. And so as you came in, you should have received in your bulletin three different sheets of paper. Uh, I don't, it doesn't matter what color they are, but you should have got three sheets of paper. If not, you can just grab one of the communication cards. But here's what I want you to do this morning. On one of those sheets of paper, on it, I just want you to write home. Home. And on that sheet of paper, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the next few couple minutes. We're going to give a couple minutes for this. I want you to write the name of two or three people in your family that you can be praying for. Two or three people in your family that, that you can help take one step closer to Jesus. Maybe you need to write out what's the step that God's laid on your heart. This morning, I want us to take a couple minutes, write that down, and I'm just going to give some time of quiet. I want you to have some time to pray for these people right now. I think oftentimes you hear a sermon, you think, I'm going to do this, and then you get distracted. This morning, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. I want you to pray for the people in your family. You know what's going on in their lives. You know where they're at. Let's take a moment and pray for them. All right, we'll have a little bit more time later in the service. As you think about making disciples in our own Jerusalem, I hope that you also see that there's another context right here at home that, that God has opened up an opportunity for your disciple-making. That's here. It's this church. It's our church. One of the key reasons the early church was as dynamic and as, as passionate and as powerful as they were is that they constantly sought out opportunities to help one another take steps toward Jesus. Like last week, we talked about this. The believers were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the scriptures. They were devoted to meeting together. The purpose was what? To help push one another to take one step toward Jesus. Today, all around you in this room are opportunities to help someone take a step toward Jesus. When we gather together on Sundays, that's the reason we come together. It's why we do our youth ministry. It's why we do in kids ministry. It's why we worship together. It is to push one another toward Christ. Part of my role as your pastor is to do that through preaching the word. But friends, my role is not the only role in this church. 
Every single one of you in this room has a role to play in helping the other people in this congregation take steps toward Jesus. We read this in Hebrews chapter 10, 24, and understand this is not to a pastor, this is to a church. This is to you. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Different passage, Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing who? One another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This idea of helping other believers to take a step toward Jesus, helping the non-believers who come and worship alongside us, helping them take a step toward Jesus, this is not anything new, church. But sadly, let me just say this, it is dramatically way of looking at church, a dramatically different way of looking at church than many Christians have. Sadly, many people come into worship gatherings with this question, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? There's a, a comedian named John Christ who is just hilarious. If you've never seen his videos, they are great. But he does a, a few satire videos that's called Church Hunters. And it's based on the uh, show House Hunters, and yet he takes it and he equates it to church life. And it's this couple that goes from church to church, and they're trying to figure out, is the pastor encouraging enough for me? Do they wear the right kind of clothing? Is the kids' ministry dynamic enough for me? Is, is the worship pastor relevant enough for me? All these questions that they're asking, trying to figure out, what can we get out of this? It's a satire, but you know what's the issue with satire? There's truth. Far too many Christians, when you come in on a Sunday morning, you're asking this question, what's in it for me? But do you see in this text, it's a dramatically different thing when you think about what it said in Hebrews and what it says in Colossians. The question we should be asking is this, who is in this room that I can help take one step toward Jesus? What guest do I need to go out of my way to greet? What, what person needs to be encouraged? What person can I stop and, and quit what I'm doing and just pray for them in this moment? What person can I bring a word from the Lord that I've been praying over that week that I bring it to them? What person can I spend intentional time with this week? When you come to church with that mentality, it changes church. You want to know when you're going to encounter the Spirit of God in this place? It's when you are readying yourself to come in with that kind of mentality. How can I help others take a step? This morning, I want us to take a moment now and think about this church. I want you to ask this question. Who are some people that you need to be praying for? What are some steps you need to take to help others take a step toward Jesus? Maybe it's a ministry that you need to get involved with. Maybe it's an action that you need to take. But this morning, just for a couple moments, I want you to write on one of those other sheets, church. If the Lord brings some names to mind, write down the names of those people. Maybe you're here and you don't know anybody. Would you just simply pray that God would give you an opportunity to help these other individuals to take a step toward him? Take a moment and write those names now. Lord, would you Help us to be led by your spirit instead of our flesh. Our flesh is always going to ask the question, what's in it for me? 
But God, I pray that you would help us as a church to be a people who are so filled with you, so filled with your love, so filled with your spirit that you've fulfilled our needs so that we have so much more. It's an outflow of our lives to serve other people. Lord, I pray that this would be a place where disciples are made, where it wouldn't just be a pastor or a staff team, but every single individual would take it upon themselves to prayerfully depend on your spirit, to proclaim your word, to persevere in the way that they help others in this church take a step toward you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we've started with Jerusalem. But I'm so grateful this morning that the disciples did not stop in Jerusalem. You think about it, if the disciples had stayed home, we would not have the gospel. And yet what happened? He says this, You shall go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're to go in an ever-expanding way, praying, proclaiming, and persevering. In this passage, one thing is clear, and that is this. Jesus' mission is an ever-expanding mission. And it's for this reason that from the beginning of our church's history, God's plan for our church has been that we will make a difference for his kingdom, not only here in San Francisco, but in the Bay Area, in America, and the world. This church has already made that impact, but I want you to see that each one of us are part of that role of being sent to make a difference for his kingdom. And that's the reason that God has strategically sent people out from this body to places like Turkey, some in Southeast Asia, some in South Asia, some in Africa. In the same way, he's placed some people in Texas. He's moved some people to Washington, D.C. He's moved some people to New York City. He's put some of you at Kaiser. He's put some of you at Salesforce. He's put some of you at Safeway. He's placed some of you in apartments in Hayes Valley. He's placed some of you in homes in the Richmond. He's placed some of you in SRO units in in the mission. Some of you students he's placed at Presidio Middle School. He's placed at Balboa High School. He's placed at San Francisco State University. My point is this. The playing field for our disciple making extends wherever the domain of darkness exists. Wherever people do not know Jesus, wherever people need to take a step toward Jesus, that is where we make disciples, church. It doesn't stop here, but we look for ever-expanding opportunities. We look for opportunities to go to other parts of the world to share his gospel. We look for opportunities across the street to share his gospel. It's a gospel that has no boundaries. I think that's one of the reasons that this region, Samaria, is mentioned by name. In those days, the Samaritans were a hated people. They were disdained, and the Jewish people saw them as half-breeds that that worshipped other gods. They were of zero worth. And yet Jesus looks at his disciples who viewed them in that way, and he says, no, friends, that's your mission field. The people that are different than you, the people that you're uncomfortable with. Our world is great at setting up boundaries. Because we are a world broken by sin, all sorts of boundaries exist. Boundaries of ethnicity. Boundaries of geographic uh, lines, boundaries of race, of, of socioeconomic class, of gender, of age, all of these different boundaries. Jesus says to his disciples, my gospel has no boundaries. Wherever I take you, wherever you go, wherever there is darkness, you are to be my light. It's a rescue mission that is global in scope. 
And I think one of the things that is so unique about San Francisco that I'm so grateful for is that God has brought the nations here. Not only can we go out and join our global partners in, around the world, but he has brought the nations to our schools and to our workplaces and to our neighborhoods. So friends, this morning, on this last piece of paper, I just want you to write the world. These contexts, the home, our church, the world. Who are some people in your world that need to take a step toward Jesus, that you can be part of that? Maybe it's somebody at your work. Maybe it's somebody at your school, for those of you who are students. Maybe it's the step of, you know what, I need to go on a global opportunity. We've got three trips that we're going to be doing next year. Whatever it is that God puts you on your heart, I want you to write that on that last sheet of paper. If it's specific names, write those names. Spend some time praying for them, and we'll close our service in just a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray that our disciple-making won't stop in our homes, it won't stop even in, in our church, Lord, but that it would extend to the world that you put around us. Lord, I pray that, that we would be filled by your Spirit and do what we cannot do on our own, and that is bring change, Lord. Help people to come to know you. Help people to be rescued from their sin, from the darkness, and brought into relationship with you. It's only by your Spirit that we can do that, so we pray for that now. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to close, but this morning, you may be wondering, Ryan, why are we taking the time to do all this? Why are we writing it down? Why are we thinking about our different contexts? Friends, the reason I'm giving you time to do this is I see a tragedy that happens many, many Sundays. And that tragedy is this. We come, we hear the word of God, and we never, we never move it into action. We never move it into our home. We never move it into our church. We never move it into our, our world. And so my goal this morning has been to help you to begin to think through what will my disciple-making look like. It's important. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Many Sundays we deceive ourselves when we hear the word, but we don't do anything. This was a danger for the disciples. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but when you look at this text, Jesus tells them what to do. He ascends into heaven. And what does it say the disciples do? Do they go out and, and begin to make disciples? No, they just start gazing. <laughs> they just look up into the heavens. They just stand there. You think, why are they doing that? Why aren't they going and, and moving forward and doing what Jesus told them to do? Instead, they're just standing there. It's what many of us do. We get distracted. I can't help but think many of them felt inferior. Like, I can't do this. Jesus just told me to make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. I can't do this i got to believe that many of you feel the same. And so with that, I want to end with this truth that we looked at last week. Let me just remind you as we go from this place of this reality. You cannot do on your own what Jesus called you to do in this passage. But here's the caveat. If you are a Christian and you're in this room, you are never on your own. What does Jesus say? I will give you my spirit. Where my spirit is, there's power. Where there's no spirit, there is no power. But where the spirit is, massive change is possible. That word spirit is the word dunamis, which is the word where we get the word dynamite. When dynamite goes off, what happens? Change. Change happens. Friends, do you realize that because you have the Holy Spirit within you, if you obey Jesus, you go and you seek to help people to take one step toward him through prayerful dependence on him, proclamation, perseverance, change can happen. 
Some of you probably heard an album yesterday by Kanye West, <laughs> Jesus is King. I don't know what's going to happen in his life, but I tell you, change can happen. No one is too far that the gospel cannot reach and change their life. Where the Holy Spirit is, there is power. Jesus is the one who does the work. This has always been true. Jesus is the one who came into this world, lived a sinless, righteous life that we couldn't live. Jesus is the one that came and died on the cross in place of our punishment. He took that punishment upon himself. He did that for us. He's the one that defeated death. He's the one that was risen from the dead. He's the one that gives us his spirit. As we go and proclaim who Jesus is, let us remember that this is the kind of king we serve. A king who has sacrificed everything for us.